Hey, I'm Paige. I'm Chris. And this is Dana Mateys. We're coming at you with part two of our Proud Family episode. Yes. Proud Family 2, Electric Shitting on Oscar Boogaloo. <laughs> Let's destroy Oscar. For those of you who Oscar have not... Oscar is canceled. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the show is fine. Just cancel Oscar. <laughs> uh, for those of you who are lost, there is an episode before this one where we get into the beginning of the Proud Family and discuss a lot of aspects of it, including the different characters and the more positive aspects of the show, including representation. But we've gone through all of that. This time is sort of our dark to the light, our qualms to the positive features of the show. And we have some qualms, folks. Many there qualms. There are qualms to be had. Which is, as always, going to require us to provide a couple of caveats. The first is, is that we are not black, and this show deals with a lot of uh, very specific black-slash-African-American cultural issues. So as such, that's always important for us to consider from our perspective as we watch this particular show and critique it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm trying to be, like, self-aware about it, and, like, are we being more critical of the Proud Family than we have been of other shows? And, and I, I've done some thinking about it, and I don't think so. I could be wrong. You know, it's hard to be reflective. The issue but I don't that, think we are. The issue is that we haven't had as much negative criticism about any show as we do mm -hmm. about... I, I feel personally that way. And, and I think it's confounded with the fact that we're doing a Disney show. Personally, I think that that confounds with the negativity. That it's not all on the Proud Family. It's kind of a Disney thing, too. Yeah, I think that we're going to find that all Disney shows that we cover have some, like, pretty shitty social politics. Because that's a lot of our criticism of it, is, like, what are, like, the social politics that are being, like, conveyed in this show? And I think that many Disney shows have awful politics because Disney is a reactionary force in our society. We will end up finding, I think, that that gets better over time. And once we get to the Gravity Falls era, that is mm -hmm. likely to have been ejected a little bit. Or at least, like, sunk beneath the surface a little bit. For sure. So we begin really with what is, in many aspects, whether it be social commentary, political commentary, family style, interpersonal relationships, just all around a problematic force in the show is Oscar Proud. Mm -hmm. the, the patriarch of Ooh. the Proud family, the father figure, mm -hmm. who at first sort of inhabits the typical stereotype dad of, yeah, just of sort a of sitcom. Like a bumbling figure. Bumbling with very 
sort of reactionary I'm the boss mentality. Mm-hmm. But, oh, it goes so much deeper. Yeah, I mean, sh- should we just, like, address the sexual politics of the show? Because Oscar is the hub of the wheel that is the reactionary sexual pol- sexual politics of the Proud Family. So to segue into that somewhat, remember that this is a show about a family, but also it's a show about Penny Proud, a 14-year-old Ooh. girl with numerous friends and those around her that are a lot of the action of the show. So a lot of this is partially the image of kids being portrayed to kids and they're all they're all in that vulnerable teenager early teen phase where they're very concerned about how they appear to others social hierarchies finding like starting to date all of that is sort of coming to the fore and it's just a lot of the negative things that happen in that arena are reinforced with uh penny's family at home Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, A lot of the sexual politics of the show has to do explicitly with Oscar's relationship to his daughter's dating life, or really lack thereof. Yeah, Penny doesn't really date that much. A lot of the reason being is that her parents won't let her. And this is an area where you might get parents saying, you don't know what it's like to have a kid and you're trying to protect your child. And of course you want people to be mature enough to date and watching this show, you, you get the idea very quickly that Oscar falls into the live action sitcom stereotype dad of being a shotgun sitting on the porch you know, be home by mm-hmm. 8 p.m., very heavy-handed. It's very sort of, you know, my daughter. Right. Stay away from my baby girl. Yeah. Um, and, and so he explicitly says, you find out at some point through things that Penny says that the real rule in the household is that she's not allowed to date until she's 16 years old. And, but Oscar literally says to her at times, no dating until after you're married and things like that. Which I think uh, that may show some awareness that what he's doing is ridiculous. But mm-hmm. if, if, if it is attempting to deconstruct the absurdity of that argument, it does a poor job because it ends up in the context of the show reinforcing a lot of those problematic aspects because they come off as funny. They don't come off as critical, except at one instance where Penny's mom has to get involved. Mm -hmm. But even then it's the only time it's really dealt with seriously. And we, we touched a little bit on that last time. And before we sort of give all the blame to Oscar, we can spread around some of that problem and part of that has to do with the people that are Penny's age. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's talk about some events and other people aside from Oscar, cause we'll definitely come back to him. 
but there are a couple of key episodes that come along where you see some very problematic dating behaviors going on, and it's not just, like, guys, either. Uh, which, I don't know, kind of segues us into some important side characters, particularly the side characters Dijonet and Sticky. Dijonet and Sticky. Um, Dijonet, from the beginning of the show, is very interested in, in Sticky, who is one of, like, their friend groups. And she's very... <sighs> aggressive is the word. Extremely aggressive. She is very physically forward with him, like, trying to kiss him. Uh, this this kind of gets into consent, because... Mm-hmm. Her, she, she runs after him when he runs away from her, and it's cloaked in this slapstick sitcom traping or trapping. But deep down, what it's kind of doing is it's kind of like, hey, girls, be sexually aggressive. And then there's an episode where the lesson becomes be sexually aggressive and they'll like you. Yeah, there, there's a whole episode where they they do the whole jealousy trope, like um, you know, like another boy likes Dijonet, and so she gets and, and Penny suggests that um, she get with this other boy, not to like see other people and like move on, but because um, it will make Sticky jealous. And then it works really well. And so, like, Penny starts to fake date Sticky to make Dijonet jealous. And it's like, oh, my God. This is a disaster. And then, of course, as soon as, like, Sticky can have Dijonet, like, he doesn't want her anymore. And it's like, these are really, like, harmful tropes about men and women in dating that you're, like, feeding to an audience of, like, like, the television rating for the Proud Family was Y7. You know, you're feeding the, these, like, really harmful tropes about men and women and dating to elementary school-aged children. And it, which is not to say that we can't look at sexual jealousy as a thing that happens to people, but I don't, the, the idea that, number one, y- it, being sexually aggressive is okay as long as everybody is okay with it. Because none of their friend group steps in and is like, yo, Dijonet, you should really back off Sticky. He just doesn't like you. stop sexually harassing Sticky. And then later, the show's kind of like, no, it's okay, because Sticky secretly likes her. Yeah. And then they do the whole jealousy thing, like that's a viable tactic to get people to like you, and that's totally fine. Is, and it's also really cruel to Duke. Like, he just legitimately liked Dijonet, like, for who she is, just on her own. You know, I don't, go ahead, sorry. <laughs> well, no, and, and that's just one of those times where you're like, whole, that, that, that entire episode was a train wreck. Mm-hmm. Just a train wreck of me being very disappointed. Yeah, that was, like, 
a particularly disappointing episode, as was the camp episode. I mean, that one was portrayed as sort of being like a tender episode, and it was not, actually, in my opinion. Well, talk a little bit about that. Okay, so there's an episode where, like, literally the kids are going to church camp. Um, and Penny and all the other kids are going to be junior counselors at church camp. And uh, Oscar is, of course, immediately having, like, sexual anxiety over his daughter's purity because she will be, like, out of his sight at church camp. And so the reverend's son... To be fair, a lot of crazy shit goes on at church camp. Oh, okay. I mean, fine. <laughs> no, I obviously I'm 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 being facetious about excusing Oscar's anxiety, but I am saying that crazy things apparently go on at church camps. Hmm. Okay. I've heard stories from people who went to church camp, but all right, share your church camp stories with us, folks. <laughs> no, who knows how much of posturing it was, and who knows how much of it is true, but continue. Yeah. Okay, so, like, the Reverend's son is a senior counselor, and, like, Penny likes him. She's into him, you know, she wants to, like, spend time with him, and she's, they're, like, you know, the junior, like, all the junior and senior counselors are paired, and they're paired. But Oscar has enlisted Peebo, minor character Peebo, who is a neighbor of theirs, who is a child attending the camp, to spy on his daughter and report to him on his daughter's activities. And um, it's all 100% about, like, Oscar's sexual anxiety. And um, so, basically, Penny ends up getting a note saying, you know, hey, like, the pastor's son said to give Penny this note to come meet, uh, meet him under Kissing Rock, you know, after dinner tomorrow. And Penny gets really excited to, you know, go see this boy that she likes. And uh, Peebo conveys the information to Oscar. And he drives to the camp, right? He drives to the camp. And so it turns out that actually he met Jenny, who is a girl who is a little bit older than him, but, like, closer, you know, she's 18, he's 16, right? Age difference in the other direction. And he liked her. And, oh, I'm sorry, this happened, Penny. And she's just sitting there being embarrassed and kind of crying because she's embarrassed and heartbroken. And, you know, then um, her dad shows up. And they have this sort of what's portrayed as a tender moment where Oscar literally says, like, it's not you that I don't trust. Uh, it's, it's the boys that I don't trust because I didn't raise them. You know, um, and I can't remember whether this is the episode where he tells her that, like, no, that's a different episode um, where he says that boys are only nice for one reason. Um, but he basically tells her that, like, I don't want you to, like, get into a situation that you're not, like, ready for. But, like, you've had this tender moment where you've spent literally the entire week spying on your child and driving hours to another location because she might kiss a boy like there's nothing tender about that and there's no proactive steps taken to mentally assist her in thinking about those scenarios before the fact actually mm -hmm. doing productive 
things with a young girl to tell her about how to approach those situations as a responsible individual and discussing her rights and her ability to be like, here's what consent is. You sh and, and this was before that national conversation was happening. But that uh, at some point, that's not enough to just be like, oh, we can just be okay with this sort of subpar parenting. And yeah. I think that this is one of those instances where just all of the behavior, it, it's, it comes off as really, it has the appearance of a lesson well-learned of a moral ending that if you just think about it for any period of time, you see it as, wow, that was really ham-fisted and completely doesn't excuse anything that happened in the rest of this episode or in previous episodes. Yeah, and, and like to be fair, I think Trudy is generally somewhat better about it. But like, there's a very early episode. It's like the third episode of the show where basically Penny has friends over and they invite boys over and they're doing the whole spin the bottle seven minutes in heaven thing. And um, uh, Penny gets locked in the closet with like the nerdy boy and like nothing happens and her parents come home and like she gets in trouble and her mom like told her, you know, she's like, mom, I didn't do anything. And her mom's like, well, I know you didn't because I know you're a good girl, but things like that are how, you know, good girls get a bad reputation. And like, you don't want that. And then Trudy's right. And everybody spreads rumors about her that she was like fooling around with this boy in the closet. And it's like a whole crisis for her and her reputation. And it explicitly shows that like Myron, the nerdy boy, lies because it boosts his reputation but now everyone thinks that penny's a slut so you know it, and uh, yeah it lays bare this really it it lays bare without communicating how shitty it is the double standard that's applied to male and female sexuality especially as uh, in teens like myron is shown to be cool and and we as the audience are supposed to really dislike him for that but he doesn't get punished at all. Nothing bad no, happens he to him. He walks away with other girls interested in him. Mm -hmm. And and Penny yeah. is left having to kind of pick up the pieces herself. And, uh, re and everybody sings a song about how gossiping is bad. And that's the end of that. Yeah, like, the moral of that episode is somehow that gossiping is bad. Yeah, it's not the fact that Myron is a shithead. It's, and, and that every... Or that Dijanae is a shithead for spreading rumors about her own friend, which is also an element of that episode, which we will get to later in another uh, criticism I have of the Proud family, which is, friendship is meaningless. <laughs> it really is very shallow, very shallow. They show you they they sell each other out so easily, but I feel like that fits almost better into economics than it does into sexual politics. Yeah, it absolutely does. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but yeah, so it's like, and the thing is, I can't give you. I could sit here for an hour and list examples of it. Because it, that is how central it is to this show. Like, nearly every episode, in, I can list off the top of my head multiple different episodes where the whole plot of the episode, outside of Penny and her personal feelings, is that Oscar is threatened because there is a boy somewhere near his daughter. 
And I guess it is worth stating that Penny herself, aside from what you would realistically expect a 14-year-old girl to be excited about or think about things, is fairly level-headed and tends to make decent decisions. And I think that if she were actually left to her own devices, she is capable enough to realize when a person is trying to take advantage of her and and mm -hmm. see that for what it is and be like, no, I'm done with this. Yeah, because, like, the whole thing about Penny and the reason she's our protagonist is because, like, she is a kind person who chooses to do the right thing of her own volition every time, even when that's not what her friends are doing, even when it would have been easier for her to not do the right thing. So clearly, you know, Penny has moral fiber, right? Um, and so the fact that her father would still be, even though she literally said to him, why don't you trust me? And he says, it's the boys that I don't trust. Well, he clearly doesn't trust her because if, like, if a boy, like if there might be boys somewhere, he freaks out about it. Um, Sugar Mama isn't really involved in a lot of this, though. Usually she's in the kind of Penny's a good kid. Let her do things side of, you know, the show. Yeah. In that respect, yeah. I think that's a positive quality for for her to have. I think so, too. I think she doesn't very often get involved in that aspect of it. But when she does, she's just like, well, you know, she's a good girl. She's got a good head on her shoulders. Leave that baby alone. You know, that's normally her opinion. Um, but I think that Sugar Mama's own uh, relationship... <laughs> with a man actually has some interesting things to say too, because it's a weird running joke on the show. Right. Because sugar mama is kind of like involved with, um, poppy. So the Boulevardes family lives across the street and they're sort of introduced on day one as a, Oh boy. There's so much economic stuff to talk about with the relationship between the vault, the Boulevardes family and Oscar proud. Yeah, but they're like an upper middle class family. It, it's a keeping. They have things it's that a, rich people have. You it's know? a keeping up with the Joneses sort of thing that they, mm -hmm. they like. They they compete. They're friends, but Oscar is always impressed by their wealth. And uh, aside from we could we could talk about La Cienica and her problem. Oh God, she's just so awful. She's so bad. She, uh, like vain, um, gossipy, vain, shallow, cruel, gossipy, everything. And, and I mean, to some extent, we're supposed to root against her, but I, it kind of gets set up. She's a foil, you know, it kind of gets set up as, um, she is kind of being failed by other people. I don't know. I kind yeah, of sort of like where are okay, her fucking okay. parents? Anyway, anyway, um, so... Um, okay, but, like, in the Bullardis family, there's La Cienega, the daughter, there's Sunset, the wife, who is friends with Trudy, there's Who's Felix, a fucking the cop. husband. She's a cop, by the way. She's a fucking cop. She's a Latina cop. Who laughs about um, abusing her power. Yeah, laughs about constantly. Anyway. Constantly. And then there's Felix's dad, uh, Poppy. Um, and he 
doesn't speak any English, and he is to all appearances romantically involved with Sugar Mama. They're together all the time. But, like, literally every time he ever says anything, it's in Spanish, and he's horribly insulting her and just saying how miserable he is around here, her and how, like, ugly and terrible she is and how he hates her. And the joke is that, like, she doesn't speak Spanish, so she assumes it's, like, a compliment. And I'm like, this is just, like, I don't even have so much analysis of it as much as I'm just like, that's just cruel, <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, it's the, – the whole idea is that as long as it gets a laugh – it's okay. Uh, whereas you're clearly like, wow, that's really cruel uh, mm-hmm. of Poppy and Sh- Sh- Sugar thinks he's being genuine. That he's yeah, being and, like, romantic. He have to spend time with her. Like, no one's making him. You know, it's that old, like, trope of like, oh, yeah, the ball and chain, like, she makes me miserable. And it's like, no one's making you. Like, y'all aren't even, like, married. Just don't, if you don't like her, don't hang out with her. Why are you doing this? Yeah, I suppose I'm that like, is a reproduction of that very typical sitcom-y thing where men make, make like, just sh- casually shit on their significant other. As if mm-hmm. that that's, like, a funny haha thing and not just sort of, like, a uh, whole inside of the life that we've sort of built for ourselves as men and women and the expectations that you're supposed to have. It's like, as a man, you're supposed to treat your wife like crap. Because it's funny. Yeah. It's like you're supposed to get married, but then you're supposed to disparage marriage. It's like you asked her. Like, I guarantee you that if you're the kind of dude who's doing that, you asked her. If you didn't want to get married, don't, you know? And, and and so that's the thing. And, like, no one in the Boulevardes family who also speaks Spanish ever tells Sugar Mama what's going on there. Like, what? Like that's just so, that's so mean. That's so mean of everyone. Sugar Mama doesn't deserve that. Yeah, she deserves better. She deserves a real, a really kind individual. Mm-hmm. I, she does. As far as relationships... Which he had for a minute, but then he had dementia. Do you remember that episode? Uh, I don't want to... I don't want to talk about it. Oh, it's so sad. Guys, there's an episode where Sugar Mama is dating this guy, and they're going to get married, and he's, like, really wealthy and cultured and very kind to her and everyone around her. And then at the last minute, it turns out he has severe dementia... And doesn't know what's going on or who he is. And his son comes and gets him. And then Sugar Mama is alone again. Uh, It's just so sad. There's like, I have nothing else to say about it. It's just really sad. I don't want to talk about it, Paige. (laughs) I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you sad, Chris. Well, that's okay. Because my, my still, my, I'm still riled up about the relationships otherwise in the show. Because the, even with Penny, a lot of the guys that Penny is interested in are terrible role models for boys, which I think oh, yeah. I think the show was definitely meant for girls a little bit slanted towards girls. And you see that in the way that boys are kind of portrayed. But the problem with that is that there are no good male role models there is as a man watching that show. I was like, wow, I don't envy any of these boys. 
I actually I dislike all of them. Duke's okay. He is okay. And and there is um another episode where I mean Penny and him when they go to the amusement park. It's a very cute episode. Yeah, Carlos. That's a super cute episode. And it chuns fat phobia. Um, it's so very it, yeah, it was a very fat positive episode. Yeah, so in that episode, so everyone knows, Penny goes to the amusement park with her friends. She didn't know there were going to be boys there, and she told her dad there weren't going to be any boys, but they each have a date, and they all stick her with the one that they think is going to be the worst because he's big and fat. But actually, it turns out that all the guys they were going on their dates with are fucking dicks, and Carlo was like a very sweet and kind of nerdy, like thoughtful, interesting person who Penny really enjoys spending time with, and even all, though they don't end up, like, dating. And then all Oscar does is shit on him. Oh, yeah. He, he's so... Fat. he Oscar thinks he's so fat, Oscar, with his sexual anxiety, doesn't even perceive him as a threat. Yeah, because there's, like, no way that Penny could be attracted to this big, fat kid. So it's weird Be Oh, my God. Um... Yeah, so overall, I think most of the dudes in the show are pretty bad. They they tend to be sort of unintelligent or shallow, uh, tend to sort of just go where the wind blows, tend to be players, and I what don't... What do you think wa- of Quok in the episode, that episode, the Romeo and Juliet episode? So this episode, for those of you who don't know, sort of ham-fistedly tackles the concept of arranged marriages. And it ends up being pretty racist, I'd say. Yeah, it's pretty much like, fuck traditional culture. <laughs> not, not Yeah, that- it's like, Asian people, they have arranged marriages and are really strict with their how, kids. How barbaric. Yeah. yeah, perish the thought. I mean, we could talk about the legitimate issues with cultures of arranged marriage and how more often than not women are treated as things to be traded or objects. We could talk about like, that is a separate issue. The main issue is the fact that we are on Penny's point of view, looking into a traditional family and the, the messages that get sent about that are how barbaric like, how dare they not espouse Western ideals of marriage and love? Yeah. Like, it's very anti-not-very-American-views-of-love. Anti and it ends up where the, the boy who is arranged to be married, uh, he goes along with it for a while. With his family's plans. He says, like, he and Penny like each other. And they like each other. And he's like, no, I can't. We can't be together. And she's like, why? And he's like, I'm engaged. Like, I can't be with you because we could never be together long term. (laughs) You know, which is hilarious because they're 14. Um, But then at the end of the episode, it's like, I didn't like her, so our parents called off the wedding, so you and I can, like, date. But then we only ever see him, like, one other time, because which is accurate to 14-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, you got me there. It is pretty accurate, I suppose. 
The fact that we only ever see a boy she likes like one episode ever is accurate to 14 year olds. Um, but I, 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 it, it's sort of just like, oh, love won out in the end. A true Romeo and Juliet story, except Romeo and Juliet ends with both people committing suicide. <laughs> what, what, what a relationship to idealize. I, I never saw Romeo and Juliet that way until I started, I was, until I was out of college, really. It's like, wow, this girl just killed herself for this lusty boy. <laughs> um, how romantic. Yeah, it's a, it's a cautionary tale, man. That's how it was meant, you know? It's, there's a reason that Romeo and Juliet is a tragedy and not a romance. Yeah, I feel like Shakespeare would look around at all these people doing Romeo and Juliet and be like, what the fuck, man? Like, Did you not listen to the chorus? They're <laughs> there to explicitly set out the themes and problems of the play. I included you, a freaking Greek chorus for that reason. Did you watch fucking, oh my god, Hamlet and think it was a story about how to be a great king? <laughs> Is that what you got out of that story? Oh, I suppose you, you watched Titus Andronicus and just thought, like, oh, cannibalism is cool. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, Shakespeare, sorry, like, uh, I know that was the, like, best-selling one when you were alive, but, like, no one gives a shit about that play anymore or even, like, knows about it. Yeah, it's and all, then he would be really blown away. It's all about Taming of the Shrew and a Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, yeah? For sure, but anyway. <laughs> right, so I, I, I think overall... We the, a good half of what we've talked about has been about. I I think I will end with the fact that teens and young kids are very impressionable, and they're looking for information on how social groups function, particularly when it comes to romance. And these things matter. These things in get in to our implicit beliefs about relationships. And we want to be communicating positive, healthy ways that men and women can interact with one another on equal footing. And we get terrible relationship, essentially role models from both women like Dijonet and La Cienica and from boys, i.e. the vast majority of them, including Oscar Proud himself and shitty things that he does in his relationship with Trudy. Yeah. Um, he, he's always self-conscious about not being the breadwinner, even though she supports him and love and, and he, he is like suspicious of her and overall domineering of her and not really respectful of. He and Felix are that classic sort of like dude stereotype of like, Oh yeah. Like fuck my wife. Right. Like she never lets me do anything fun. Like, we got to sneak around to do anything. Oh, I don't want to spend time with my wife and my like, children. I feel That's like it's the worst. It's like King of Queens slash married with kids type shit. Yeah, for sure. Well, like Felix and Oscar are like, I think, very self-consciously like based on the odd couple when they interact as well. But um, I think so. Here's what I'll say. My most charitable criticism, I'll wrap up with my most charitable criticism of Oscar and particular he his his sexual anxiety about his daughter. My most charitable criticism is this. 
just like it was with portraying family conflict and violence in the family, an uncritical portrayal of what you experienced growing up is maybe not always the best thing, especially when the show is made for children. Yep. You may end up perpetuating things that you don't like. Yeah. So uh, we can, and I, I could talk for literally forever about the effect that negative things related to image and sexual relationships can like psychologically have on people. But I feel like I got a little bit more of the spotlight last time. So we're going to move a little bit more to economics. Wait, um, let's not forget about Johnny Lovely. Oh, debutante. The story of that debutante ball is we fucking paid for you to be an object. So you're going to be an object. Yeah, I'm Trudy Proud and you must be a debutante. Oh my god, so it's it's basically minor sexual offenses by women perpetuated onto women because that's what they went through, damn it. Yeah, pretty much. And so like all the kids are doing like debutante stuff and they all think it's stupid and they're make, making fun of it, which is correct. And then there's this kid who shows up and his name is like, his name is Johnny Lovely. And he like takes the debutante shit like seriously and is like super polite. And he's like super sweet to all like the girls. And the young boys are super threatened by it and they're aggressive with Johnny and they don't care for it. But he's also very nice to all the boys, right? And so then at some point, the fathers find out that he has a list of all the girls' names and just, like, different little likes and dislikes that she has. And all of the dads get whipped into, like, a state of, like, sexual paranoia, right? And go to the school and, like, demand that disciplinary action be taken against this child for 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 having this list that he got off of a school website yeah and he says he has a similar list for the boys and then he got it off the school directory and he gets suspended anyway because all of the dads like i think that's the episode where they say boys are only nice for one reason that is they're like this boy is only being nice to our daughters because he wants to fuck them and you as the school need to take action against this child, you know? And and the principal's like, oh, we do have a website? Well, the dads seem to be happy, so fuck it! Yeah. Um, and then Johnny Lovely disappears and leaves them all with a personalized copy of a book called How to Be Lovely that just gives them each a nice piece of advice. And it's a bizarre episode, which, like, what is the message of this episode? There's so much happening. That school administrators should like bow to pressure. That dad should feel okay about doing this to a fucking child. That that chivalry is dead. That chivalry is dead. That men will... I think when they he's got the boys list, they make a mildly homophobic remark too. Which is like, oh, I miss that. Like, what the fuck does he have that for? Like, not not only is it laughable, but it's also slightly disgust inducing. Yeah, it's weird because like even like 
like it's it's supposed to be we're supposed to see it as bad as what happens to Johnny, right? Like their their portrayal of that is not uncritical. But the message of Johnny Lovely is that like no man, it's not about sexism. It's just common courtesy, man. Like chivalry is dead. We should all aspire to common courtesy. Wouldn't it be like a better place? But like the common courtesy is like pulling chairs out for girls and stuff. Well, and Penny specifically during the episode when she's being trained for the debutante ball is like, I can pull out my own fucking chair. And mm. that gets beat out of her by Johnny who's like, no. Let me. Yeah, like Penny is explicitly being like, I am a feminist. I am a 14-year-old woman. And like, I know how things have like changed. And like, we don't need that shit from you anymore because things have changed. And like, he like browbeats her with like benevolent sexism. Like until she like decides that sexism is fine. (laughs) Like. And, and Trudy, and like I said, Trudy at the beginning, Penny uses like the feminist argument at the beginning and she says, it's demeaning. This is demeaning to me. And Trudy doesn't give a fuck. She does not care. And I was so debutante and you're going to be a debutante. In that moment, I, in that moment, I really lost a lot of respect for Trudy. Oh, me too. That's like one of the worst, pretty much the worst thing that Trudy does in the whole show. So it, it's only overshadowed uh, overshadowed by the constant disappointment we feel for other characters. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Speaking of which, so we, we, we get a lot of sexual stuff in the show uh, that's not so, so great. But we also get a lot of negative economic messages. And, and I, I can start by saying the show is obsessed with money. Yeah, oh my god. Okay, so this whole show, I have a theory that this whole show is actually about pushing bourgeois values about work and money is my opinion and we see it okay first of all like i think i haven't fully sussed it out yet but i think the fact that this show is obsessed with contests has something to do with its weird economic values i haven't fully figured it out yet but this show is obsessed with contests. Yeah, contests feature very prominently. Uh, and they're all sorts of, like, win a free this, do a free that, tie your identity up in winning sports or contests. And I mm-hmm. think it. I, I think what you're trying to articulate is the underlying lauding of competition, even when it means, like, competing with your friends and your family... So it is it is implicitly holding up competition as a moral good. Mm, yes. Okay. So like this show we got into a little bit with the sexual politics when we were talking about the Boulevardeses, but it is obsessed with with money and with class markers. Like the class markers in this show are incredibly clear. I know the class status of everyone in this show, even if they don't talk about it. I know that Dijonay is poor compared to the other characters. I know that Penny is comfortably middle class, despite the fact that her dad owns a chronically failing snack company. I know that the Boulevardeses are wealthy, but they don't seem that wealthy in comparison with the fabulously wealthy Wizard Kelly. Wizard Kelly. Like all of the class markers are very, very 
clear. And the spending of acquisition of money to spend on conspicuous consumption items is very important to the characters in this show. Well, okay, it's specifically important to the dads. And to oh, it's some super ex- important to the dads. And, I mean, the kids do it a little bit too, but they, I don't know, you see a very clear distinction between the dads who are obsessed with uh, uh, disposable income used for status items and then the mm-hmm. kids who are just literally trying to have fun. Fair enough, fair enough. Like, they're, yeah. they're less interested in buying the hip thing and more interested in having enough movie to go see, a, like, having enough money to go see a movie or, or buy a CD or get a couple of new pieces of clothing. That's really the extent of their desire for money is... That's true. ...to do stuff, yeah. activity, stimulation. And to me, I think that's not a negative. I think that just shows you very clearly... That in our society, you have to have money to have entertainment. Yeah, that's true. It does clearly portray that. But it doesn't, like, it doesn't critique that. And it doesn't critique the fact that, like, the fathers spend a lot of money on, like, conspicuous consumption and, like, status items for themselves. But, like, won't give their children the money to go do those fun things, even though they clearly have it. You Um, know, um, it doesn't critique that. And what's interesting is... At some point, like, Penny's parents give her a credit card for use in the purchasing of school clothes and for emergencies. And it's mostly because Penny was upset that her mom was picking out her clothes for her all the time. And she thought that she should be able to pick out her own clothes. She's 14. She should be able to pick out her own clothes. And so their solution to Penny not being, like, not wanting her mom to pick out her clothes was to give her a credit card, which she is, of course, immediately irresponsible with. It's portrayed as it's not money that is a corrupting influence. It's easy credit. It's money that you didn't earn. It's money that you didn't don't have a claim to that's a corrupting influence on Penny. See, I, I, I have a sort of, not a counterpoint, but another way to look at it, which is I think that at the time, people were very aware of the credit crisis with people who were like Oscar or Felix who had essentially spent their way into holes trying to accrue class signals. And so I, I That's true. It I, was I, really talked about how everyone was in debt at that time. So when I look back and I look at my behavior going into high school, by the time that my people my age were getting into high school, the vast majority of people that I knew did not want credit cards. They, they wanted to pay for everything in cash and they wanted to not have things that they couldn't pay for upfront. At the very least, I approached everything that way. I was like, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to pay for everything without credit because credit is bad. And I don't know who taught me that message because it wasn't my parents. I think shows like the, pa- the Proud Family we're teaching you that credit is bad so I, for some reason. That's what I'm saying is I think that the show portrays the credit card as the antagonist. Mm-hmm. 
influencing Penny to make bad decisions. Yeah, it does take some agency away from her, but at the same time, I'm actually very fond of the credit is a dangerous thing message that it sent to me. I like that because it made me a responsible spender. I think I have complex feelings about that because I think that it's a little bit because I think it's also, especially when you look at after the 2008 financial crisis, um, are like it gets a lot into like the shaming of poor people which very rapidly gets transformed into the shaming of people of color particularly black people and so the idea is that like people used credit and made bad decisions with credit to get things that they didn't need and make irresponsible decisions without critiquing the fact well why did people feel the need to have those things. I don't think people are born into the world wanting a yacht, you know, and like not that any of these people got a yacht with that. That's something only the fabulously wealthy can have. People aren't born into this world needing or desiring an 80 inch screen T like 80 inch TV. You know, what is it about our society that makes people want those things that they buy with credit, right? There's a deeper critique to be had there that um, I think just stops at the idea of like credit is bad. It is a corruptible influence on weak-willed people who spend irresponsibly, you know? Uh, and that's shown in that episode too because Penny decides that like she's a strong moral fiber and she's not ready for this responsibility and she's making bad decisions. And so she returns everything and she cuts um, up the credit card. Yeah, and then Dijonet immediately gets the credit card and yeah. she she's like, I'm going to max you out. And I'm like, whoa. that Okay, that's sort of where my child brain wouldn't have picked up on – the race stuff happened or the class mm -hmm. race stuff, my, my child yeah. brain wouldn't have picked up on it. That would have merely reinforced to me the idea that credit is a corrupting influence. Yeah. But it like, it also goes along to show that like Dijonet is like a weaker willed person than Penny for some reason, you know? Uh, and like, also by the way, like Penny even though she, like, realizes that, like, she made irresponsible decisions and, like, makes every effort to, like, fix those decisions on her own and, in fact, does fix them, she still gets in trouble. She still gets punished by her parents. And that was a weird message to me. I'm like, but she already learned the lesson. Yeah, it was punishment for punishment's sake. It was, it was American justice system style punishment. It was, you did yeah. something wrong and you have to know that we're going to punish you for it sort of stuff. And that is a whole nother angle that we could take. But you see this obsession with class signals in the fact that people buy objects that are exaggerated versions of what... Okay, so Oscar doesn't just get a new TV. He gets a new giant screen TV with a pizza maker inside it. I shit you not. Um, and Felix doesn't get a big TV. He gets a home theater that's soundproofed. And Oscar all of a sudden looks at what he's got and thinks it's garbage. And, and I will say this about human understanding of social status. It is a relative analysis. 
People mm -hmm. always upward. People are upward shooters. Like they shoot for what they see other people above them having, and they're downward, um, downward comparers. So they, mm -hmm. people oftentimes to feel better about their self-worth will engage in downward social comparison. And then when people are assigning what they believe is what they should want or attempt to attain what their goals are, they use upward social comparison to determine what the adequate amount of money that people should want is. And I guess in that sense, it should be no surprise that our society values millionaires and billionaires because they're highly publicized and highly lauded as intelligent and capable. And so people naturally on the ground floor using like the psychological upward social comparison to determine worth as a natural human proclivity, naturally everybody wants to be a millionaire. So yeah, it's like, you know, it's like the, um, it's like might makes right, but with money, you know, it's like, it's not might makes, uh, right. It's like wealth makes character or whatever, you know, like because you are so rich, you must be a good person. And then you can get into the whole prosperity gospel thing, which is a religious like domination denomination specifically, like explicitly saying like, if you, if God loves you, he'll make you rich. If you're rich, that means that God loves you. Right. Um, that, that lovely circular logic right there. Um, right. So okay. let's talk about Wizard Kelly. Okay, we can talk. I was going to bring up the Napster episode, but we can talk about that after we talk about Wizard Kelly. So Wizard Kelly is—they live in Wizville, California, implying which that which is never said in the show. I got—I only got that off the Wikipedia. So Wiz Wizard Kelly is a basketball, a basketball player, a la Magic Johnson, turned. Phila uh, not philanthropist, the opposite of a philanthropist, um, turned entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. He owns like 90% of the businesses featured in the show. Music, movie theaters, Wizard Kelly's Three Flavors, ice cream. He, he is in every episode in some capacity. Almost every episode. Yeah. Yeah, if he's not in the episode himself, they've referenced one of, uh, one of, one of the wizard's many fine establishments, as they say. <laughs> and Wizard Kelly himself makes numerous appearances in the show. He's kind of like a cerebellum, a la you never ever see his face. Yeah, like the bottom part sometimes. Wizard Kelly is a shrewd, opportunistic, wealthy, amoral, wealthy actor. He is a person who plops into situations where they need a lot of money to be thrown around. And he is typically shown as a minor antagonist, I would say. And, and he's got weird connections to the Proud family. For example, Oscar Proud was going to be a famous basketball star, but Wizard Kelly stole his famous shot. And Wizard Kelly became, you know, the billionaire philanthropist and Oscar Proud is making failed snacks. And so Oscar's got all of this guilt and shame because he's not the wealthy one. Um, yeah, it's it's weird because it's like, 
it's the only time that the show manages to be critical of wealth is with Wizard Kelly. But but it's it, it's weird because he like Wizard Kelly is legitimately like a self-made man. So it's strange that the time that they are like critical of wealth and are like pointing out that there's like like greed, like the, the, there's like avarice and greed and uh, and selfishness and like trickery and stuff like that involved is when there's legitimately like a self-made man. Well, but okay, the counter to that I think is that he's self-made, but he he no longer like provides anything of value to the society. That's he, true. He, yeah. He's a landowner and a business yeah. owner. And he's he, an absolute like capitalist. He just owns things and money comes to him. And and he I, I think you can look at it as he's kind of a tr- <laughs> I use the term class trader in our personal discussions because he not the good kind of class trader, the bad kind of class trader. Because well, he's like he is like he's a self-made African American man. But mm. he is shown to have adopted everything we associate with the white aristocracy. Like, um, yeah. a, a moral, no, no cares for like the problems of those below him. He's willing to trick anybody for a buck. Yeah. And he's really, he's always engaged in like some kind of trickery. The wizard is always fucking somebody. You know, whether it's um, like taking advantage of Penny's career as a singer and then stealing all of her money, um, whether it's engaging in contests to get people to go to his establishments and then not paying them real money, whether it's like engaging with a community under the false pretense of being helpful one minute and then being like, Oh fuck y'all the next. He- yeah. I think that like John Goodman would have some things to say to wizard Kelly about what happens when you try to find a stranger in the Alps. Speak no, about that. <laughs> Sorry. There's a deep cut reference that I thought uh, that joke had been made around you before. Uh, in the big Lebowski, John Goodman is like, this is what happens when you try to fuck a stranger in the ass. But in the TV edit, they edit it. So he says, find a stranger in the Alps. Oh my God. Okay. I've only ever seen the non TV version. Yeah. That was a joke that got made a lot in college. So like, I assumed that you would know. <laughs> well, I never, I was always kind of confused cause I'd never seen the TV edit. Yeah, it's the TV edit. Okay, well, that's funny. That's like a four kids thing, except for an adult movie. Right, it is like a four kids thing. <laughs> um, which we'll talk about when we get to WB. But mm-hmm. we, yeah, I think he he's supposed to be this self-made man, but everything he does shows that at one point he was a hard worker, and then now he has turned into a terrible individual. Yeah, Wizard Kelly is basically just, like, pure avarice. And I don't know if the show hits it critical enough. I You're not supposed to like him, but you get mixed signals because the show's characters still venerate wealth. 
So yeah, I'm, it's I'm, really hard to tell. Like I like when you were even first saying, like I think Wizard Kelly's an antagonist. I'm like, is he? Like it's hot. I can't decide. Like there's he does bad things to people all the time, but I don't know that he's really an antagonist. Like well, and he's then, still venerated. And then the characters just go right back to patronizing his businesses. Yeah, for which, sure. Which I mean brings up the question: like, there's no ethical consumption. All the businesses are owned by Wizard Kelly. Therefore, what are you not going to engage in any anything just to spite Wizard Kelly with your measly three dollars? Like, voting with your dollar no longer works. So I I don't know how we're supposed to expect these kids to not want to go to the movies. It's true. Chris, they can do anything else to you, but they can't make you love Wizard Kelly. They can't make me love Wizard Kelly. And they, no matter the mixed signals that I get from the show about wealth, um, I, I know that I'm, I, um, if we put it on a scale, I would weight it in the negative. The show venerates wealth a little bit too uncritically. Oh yeah, for sure. Also, I like messed up two references in a row because that was supposed to be a Big Brother reference. <laughs> well, womp womp. I know all... I'm doing a bad job tonight with my references. Okay. What about family. unions? They send a terrible message about fucking unions. Do you want to take that one? Okay, I want to do that one last. First, I want to talk about the the Napster episode, and then last, I want to talk about unions. How's that? Yeah, let's go. Okay, so there's this whole episode. It's also, it's a Matrix parody, but it's basically about Napster. The Matrix was only like a year and a half old, too. Yeah, yeah. It was like a really quick Matrix parody. It was like on it. But basically it's about Napster and Penny especially and all the other kids start downloading music for free on the internet and it makes society collapse. All of the record stores close, the malls close. You wouldn't pirate a mall in their house. You wouldn't download a car. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't pirate pizza. Yes, I would. <laughs> I'm sorry. I I those have always gotten me. The you can have fucking memes. Don't even know what that is. Yeah. Okay, but that those memes are classic. So well, I remember, funny. like, I had so many DVDs that had that specific anti-piracy like preview on it too, and it had like the super like you know like hacker music on it too. It was all like techno, and it was like weird like sepia. Oh, God. <laughs> um, oh the aughts. But but continue. And so, like, basically, they download music, and um, it makes society collapse. Like, the fact that, like, musicians aren't getting paid for their music makes society collapse. Um, and they were, they're, like, rationalizing how it isn't stealing. But then Penny eventually is like, no, this is stealing, and that's wrong. Stealing is always wrong. There's no such thing as a gray area. And I see now that if we don't pay for music, that it will make the entire economy collapse because the world economy is music based. Well, OK. And, and OK. On the one hand, it reads like an advertisement from the RIAA. 
Like, it, it reads like a PSA about pirating from record companies. However, on the other hand, they this may have been intentional on the writer's part, or it may have been unintentional if they were getting paid by Disney, who distributes music. Yeah, for the record, Disney has a record branch. So, uh, hashtag no, they didn't disclose any conflict of interest. And they should have. And it was super unethical of them to do. I don't care who the fuck you are. You don't have to be a scientist to need to disclose a conflict of interest. Um, sorry, Disney. Um, Disney has a conflict of interest for just, like, continuing to exist as a company. <laughs> so, um... The, the episode lays bare... With Wizard Kelly as our example, because Wizard Kelly naturally owns the record label that's losing the most money because a Sir Mix-a-Lot parody comes to him and is like, yo, my new record is not selling. And the wizard's like, we've got so many, like, so many listens to this song. How can it not be making us money? And then... Wizard Kelly checks on some numbers and he's like, oh, well, I'm going to call the cops on a 14-year-old kid. And I, I don't know if, if the writers did that because while Penny's ultimate lesson is what I did was stealing in a very sort of like lib, lib way of looking at mm -hmm. theft, they show the absurdity that it's not actually the artists that are like the antagonist. It's the capitalists that hold the records, like, in their hands. Yeah. Absolutely. They're not doing it to help the artist. They, Wizard Kelly only got involved. Not when the Sir Mix-a-Lot parody came along and said, I have a problem. I can no longer afford my lavish, wealthy lifestyle. Uh, let's just assume that he was an artist who wasn't absurdly wealthy. And he was like, you know, I'm not making money. The wizard's first response was, I don't believe you. He had to be yeah. shown that he personally was losing money. And then he calls the FBI on Penny. That's like a really absurd episode. That's like, it's so like specific to the moment. And also I feel like did not age well. Well, and, and, and it shows simultaneously, right? Like record labels are fucking mafia rackets uh -huh. that are just, they just care about their own money, but also Penny shouldn't pirate because apparently stealing is just always wrong. <laughs> like, like Penny is Jean Valjean now. <laughs> screw subversion. Just like, let's just toe the party line. Even if it's just been shown that these amoral fucks are just after money and not the artist's well-being. <laughs> like, what? It's like, I needed the music to feed my family. Uh, so I... Wizard Kelly's like, you go to prison for life. <laughs> it's just a really weird episode. Because it does, it it's plays so both... It toes both sides of the line. And I don't know which side they really fell on. Yeah, it was very weird. Okay, that's all I have to say about that one. But then, then, oh, Chris, I know. the strike episode. I think this probably made Paige the maddest. This is, it was the second 
episode ever of The Proud Family. Season one, episode two of The Proud Family, okay? The children, they want to have a good time. They want to play jacks at the soda shop or whatever it is the children do, right? Okay? And they don't have any money. So they ask their parents, can I have a raise on my allowance? We see this through the lens of Penny, right? She's our organizer here. She says, can I have a raise on my allowance? And Oscar's a dick because Oscar's a cheap, greedy dick. And he's giving her like a dollar a week for allowance. Even though we see him make her do like an absurd amount of chores, like Trudy will ask him to do chores and he'll make Penny do them. But anyway, so he won't give her any money. And she's like, this is bullshit. There's been a cost of living increase. I'm not an eight-year-old. I want to do activities that cost more money, and I deserve more allowance. And you know what? So do my friends. They're also not going to get it. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to unionize, and we're going to strike. Well, because it's we're been shown. Our- it's been shown up to this point that the kids are doing a lot of labor. They're, they're doing a bulk of the cleaning of like they're mowing lawns, they're doing dishes, like they're being contributing members of their family. Yeah, they're doing like a shitload of chores. They're not just being told like clean your room and put your laundry in the laundry and basket. Like they are that's, doing chores. That's the that's the episode after we see Oscar buy the absurdly big big screen TV pizza maker. Mm-hmm. So it's been shown that he's got money to throw around. Mostly yeah. fucking Trudy's money, by the way. Yeah, she's a veterinarian in case you So, so uh, Oscar's our microcosm of a, of a fucking person who's not earning shit. He just takes his wife's money and uses it. Like, he's like a petite bourgeois motherfucker, but okay. So, like, she organizes a strike. They have grievances. Fair have- grievances. They have real grievances. They've gathered the grievances. They've presented them to the parents. The parents do not hear them. So they strike. They leave their homes. They're setting up a fucking anarchist syndicalist commune on the vacant lot on the street where they're they're trying, they're doing their best uh, to, to cook for each other and take care of one another. And they're striking to demand, you know, a fair allowance. And a couple of other grievances. I can't remember what they were. Right? The other kids are weakening. They're flagging. They're uncomfortable. They're ready to go home. And Penny says, no, we can't break the strike. They haven't acquiesced to our demands yet. We can't give in to them. And so the parents hire scabs. (laughs) Other kids. They bring in other kids. Other people's kids to do their work for them. They bring in other children to do the chores that they make their children do for them. And then they pay the other children the allowance that they were previously paying their own children. And it breaks the strike. All these other fucking weak-willed kids, they're just like, I'm tired. Look at these scabs. I'm going to go home. And so Penny's like picketing by herself at night about it. And, like, her dad goes out there and gets her. And basically, he doesn't say anything to her 
like this means anything. He's literally just like, you know, your mom made gumbo for dinner. You know, you really like your mom's gumbo. Why don't you come on inside? And then Penny's like, I am very hungry and very tired. I am 14 years old. And so she goes inside and literally, literally at the end of the episode, her parents say, what did you learn? And she said that allowance is a privilege and not a right. And then as an afterthought, Trudy basically tells Oscar that she's not going to fuck him if he doesn't give Penny <laughs> a better allowance. Oh my God. So she gets a better allowance. <laughs> so, so that's the plot summary of that episode. Um, just, and a socialist was born that day. Yeah, just like, Jesus fucking Christ, where do I begin? Yeah, where do you start? Communicating to kids from the earliest days, don't unionize because they'll hire scabs and you won't get anything unless the All benevolent... All your will betray you anyway. Yeah, and then you can trust the benevolent bosses to give you yeah. a raise anyway. You shouldn't have ever doubted them. Yeah solidarity isn't real all of your friends don't actually care and they'll turn your back all your fellow workers will turn their backs on you as soon as they possibly can because solidarity isn't real and the only person that you can turn to at all to help you is the boss and if the boss is feeling benevolent then they'll give you a raise but remember your pay is a privilege and not a right. And remember, the only reason that Trudy got a raise out of him was by using her sexuality. Yeah. And, like, by the way, like, Disney has, like, Disney has always been a reactionary force. One of the first strikes in Hollywood was Disney animators. Right? You, uh, About their, like... There was, like, a horrible cast system, and Walt Disney was personally offended by the fact that they went on a strike, and he stopped being friends with animators he had been friends with because they went on strike. I should right? say, you might, on SoundCloud, you might want to source that particular material. I believe you. I just... It's... Okay, yeah. I mean, it's true that it happened. Um, I would... Maybe the... The saying that they were one of the first ones might be wrong, but it was an early strike. And uh, the podcast Struggle Session recently had a great episode about um, about the Disney animators strike, which is where I learned about it. Cool. Um, and it's a good primer on it. Cool. That's good. I'll probably end up watching that or listening to it anyway. Yeah, it's but, okay, so, like, Disney is reactionary force. Like, the animators, like, the Disney animators, like, went on strike decades ago. It wasn't great. Like, Disney is, in the way that all corporations are in the United States, fiercely anti-union. They're fiercely anti-union in their parks. Um, you know, they are, it would be foolish for us to look at an episode like this and pretend that the fact that this program is made by Disney doesn't have an effect on the way that they portray it. Right. Uh, I, it, it it's hard cause we don't know for sure, but I think a very conservative ruling would be safer to assume a conflict of interest. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And even if it doesn't have an effect by that, it's still some fucked up reactionary politics at a kid's show. It's like, it's 
showing, did you know that there's such a thing as a union and a strike and solidarity and organizing? Isn't that cool? By the way, none of it works. Everyone will betray you. You only get anything from the benevolence of the people above you and you should be fucking happy with it. Yeah, it's like, a terror. That's the message of that episode. That is the message we do not need to be sending to kids. Uh, I, I don't think it mattered because our, I, well, I think it does matter. And I think it did matter at the time. Uh, because it's one of the only messages about unions that I ever saw in a kid's show. Yeah. Ozam Sitoya. Should I should I just should I just fucking grab the Should I just fucking grab the Soviet Union uh theme right now and play it? <laughs> like play like the fucking Soviet national anthem. That's the Marseillaise, if you guys didn't know, or La Marseillaise, depending on how you want to pronounce it. But uh yeah, solidarity forever. Unions are great. Join your union. If there's a union, join your union. If you know any union organizers, reach out to them to help you figure out how to unionize your workplace if it's safe for you to do so. Um, talk with your coworkers. Uh, know what your coworkers make. Let your coworkers know what you make. If you have grievances, talk with the, your coworkers about it. There is real power in solidarity. Unions get the goods. Direct action gets the goods. Don't let Disney fucking lie to you and fuck scabs and fuck you across the picket line. I just played the... I'm playing the national anthem over everything you just said. <laughs> so, yeah. just... So that episode, that's most of what I have to say. That episode just made me really mad. <laughs> yeah, no, and... and uh, I should state that I, I don't actually support the Soviet Union. <laughs> I was mostly playing that up for dramatic effect. Hmm. The Soviet Union is a complex topic that we will not get into on our program about cartoons. Yes, but I do identify solidly as a socialist. Yeah, I think we both we both do. So, you know, we've made that clear. But so, yeah, basically, the, those are all examples of how I think the show is all about like and it just like really in in all aspects seems to really value hard hard work and like the value of the dollar and stuff like that. And it just like pushes like these like very bourgeois values about like work and material possessions and like the value of work and the value of material possessions that I find personally distasteful. Um, and lots of shows have that stuff in there. Um, and especially Disney shows have that stuff in there. Uh, and I don't like it, and you'll probably hear me complain about it a lot more in lots of other shows. Boy, so we're about to do Gargoyles for our next mm -hmm. show, and I can't wait to see what you say about fucking Xanatos, who spends an absurd amount of wealth on magical relics. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he He's like Nicolas Cage. <laughs> he ships an entire castle from Scotland and puts it on top of a skyscraper. <laughs> gargoyles we'll get there <laughs> okay but i'm just saying that like if you want to talk about abs absurd flaunting of wealth boy that's gonna come around yeah okay so i guess that leads me into my very last point which i touched on earlier uh which is that in the proud family friendship is meaningless yeah and and i think that overall it doesn't make you feel good when you see the kids interact with each other. I don't get a 
warm fuzzy. It actually feels really jungly and very empty. No, to be fair to the show, um, sometimes when it talks about family and the relationships between families, I get extremely warm fuzzy. The big episode where Penny is realizing that friendship doesn't mean anything and that maybe the people who show up for you are more your friends than the ones you like the most and maybe family is more important and Lou Rawls sings you'll never find to her, I cry. (laughs) I legitimately cry. (laughs) Um, So I get a lot of warm fuzzies about family from the Proud family, but not about friendship. Which I guess is why they don't call it the Proud Friends. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah, but, like, basically every episode, like, Penny's friends, like, betray her, abandon her, spread rumors about her, are cruel to her, leave her behind. And, like, the end of every episode is either her being like, oh, I guess they really are my friends, or... Mm, no, like, you're fake-ass friends, and, like, I see you for what you are, so I don't trust you. But, like, she just lets them hurt her over and over again. Like, they're... And she does some of that shit, too, to her friends, where she's cruel to them. Yeah, where she becomes a superstar, a singer, she basically abandons all of them. Oh, yeah, she does. When she becomes Penny. Oh, my God. We could talk about that, too. That was when, like, Hillary Duff and all of the, like, teen idol stuff was going on. So mm-hmm. it's very, that was a very timely episode, I feel, for that kind of culture. Yeah, a culture that, like, Disney created and was pushing, by the way. Uh, that that fucked a lot of people up. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure, like, Demi Lovato is a product of that. Though they did you give know. us the Shia LaBeouf videos that we ended up getting, so worth it. <laughs> I do love Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, what a what a weird enigma to come out of. Yeah, like I stan, honestly. <laughs> yeah, for, for real. Um, but no, for every this Shia, is a Shia LaBeouf fan podcast. For every Shia LaBeouf, there's like a Hillary Duff that really got fucked up. Orlin just okay actually. She's the most okay. She's just like quietly raising a child. Oh really? Oh. Yeah, she's fine. Oh she's good. She's fine of any of them. Okay, maybe I'm I mean Lindsay Lohan got fucked up yeah. by Disney too. Yeah, Damon Lovato did, Miley Cyrus. Oh. Selena Gomez less so, but But still, I mean mm-hmm. it, uh, ugh, it makes me yeah. feel gross thinking about these kids being exploited but yeah i think like when as we cover disney shows we're probably especially during this like three episode run you know three show run where we're covering like disney shows we're probably gonna get sidetracked to talk about disney kind of a lot because disney is such like a fucking awful corporation who now owns everything in the world every media product is owned by disney though i guess we can think about like i don't know raven simone made out okay it seems yeah, but she was, like, basically an adult already when she was making That's So Raven. She, Raven. she was, like, in her 20s when um, she was making That's So Raven. That's true. That's true. A lot of those people were kids that we talk about getting messed up. Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as the Proud family, uh, I uh, I would not... Sh- I, <laughs> if you're going to show it to kids, I would be with them critiquing it mm-hmm. as they watch it. 
For sure. Yeah. I would not I would like, not put it on. I would I would show it to kids for the representation value, but I would critique it at the same time. Like it doesn't meet 2018 like wokeness muster. And you there, know? there are um, better shows is, that are diverse now. Yeah. Yeah, now there are. Now there's more stuff for us to choose from. I would say that like as a child, I really enjoyed the Proud Family. Even though I have a bunch of critiques of it, I still really enjoyed watching it. I got a lot of laughs and I got a lot of warm fuzzies about like the value of family out of it. Um, so, you know, tons of value for representation. Um, really great for like, who's that voice now? Who is that? You know, great for that kind of stuff. Um, great voice acting performances and just a really entertaining show. It's just that there's a lot to critique about it as well. I, I, I think it's a mixed bag. I think it's fair to say that it's a solid mixed bag of things. Mm-hmm. For sure. Oh, and also, like, if you really care about, like, animation quality, The Proud Family is not for you because they did not spend any money on the animation of The Proud Family. It's a flash animation. Yeah, you can... And you can tell. Mm-hmm. And the, I mean, you can tell that it was animated on a budget. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it's not like, it's not like totally spies garbage, you know, it doesn't look like that, but it's like, you know, like the backgrounds are pretty plain, you know, it's not, I mean, totally spies made like, me a homo. Totally spies. I it was great, but I can't watch it even though it's available to watch online now because side of Oh, you're breaking up page. You can't watch it. You're so just you're so sad about it that your phone signal's breaking up. Oh, oh, I was Okay. So I'm going I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up here because Paige is breaking up. So what I would want to say about this is we're finished with the Proud family. Thank you for listening. We hope that you found our critiques or the more positive things interesting and we'll be starting up with gargoyles on our next show which is a segue for us into a couple of things that we'll end up hitting on which is going to be more sort of superhero slash action slash adventure shows and it's going to be an interesting thing to critique because they have plots with arcs and things tend to be a little bit less straightforward when you've got a lot of plot to sift through. So if you, I'm really excited for plot. I, I am too. And it's going to matter because we eventually get to shows that are both episodic but heavy plot, like mm-hmm. Gravity Falls, Adventure Time, Steven Universe. They all have plots. So we're going to yeah. get, get into shows that we're just like, this is a portent of things to come in mm-hmm. advanced animation. So, uh, Paige sounds like she's back. So if you want to uh, send us out with our contact info, please, yeah. please take it away. I've been Chris. 
I've been Paige, and this has been Animates. As always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Animates. You can follow our Facebook fan page, Animates Podcast. And you can always shoot us an email if you have burning thoughts, questions, theories that you want to share with us. That's animateease at gmail.com with the number eight. Uh, if you can, please listen to us on iTunes subscribe, rate it, leave a review that will really help other people to find the podcast. And if you like it, tell a friend, tell a family member, tell an enemy. Uh, you know, we just want to reach other people. Um, but as always, thanks for listening and we'll see you. Le- see you next time.